for this time. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. So I said it last time I got a chance to talk. I'll say it again. I don't wear the sackcloth for any reason other than God supernaturally gave it to me. And I told the story last time, if you're interested in that. So I felt like he's saying, now is the time. Even though Alice said that to me in 2017, I'm slow on the uptake. So it's taken me a few years to catch up. Five. (laughs) So before we get started... There's been a change at LightHop administratively and somewhat spiritually that we need to talk about. And, you know, this is the July 4th weekend, so we've got a pretty full house for July 4th. Um, Back about, I would say, eight months ago, February. So I have a bunch of notes in my Bible. I was actually kind of flipping through while Sam was doing announcements, trying to find them. But the Lord started to speak to me. He said to me several things. One of them was... And I thought he was talking about Friday nights, but he said, I want you to take a break. This summer, I want you to take a break, and I'm going to take the reins. He just kept saying that. You're going to take a break. I'm going to take the reins. And, you know, when you get a prophetic word, you're, like, trying to figure out what it means. So I was trying to figure out what it means. I was talking to the other elders at church about, you know, I think we're going to take a break this summer from Friday nights. But I started to get a sense that it was more than just Friday nights. And then when I finished the last Friday night, the End Time Unity Bible study that we ended in March, The very last um, set of notes, I was writing them in the afternoon, which is what I do on Friday nights. I would write the notes starting about 2 in the afternoon, and I usually finish about 4. And I'm real receptive to what the Lord's saying when I'm I'm doing that. That's actually my favorite part about giving a message is the preparation part and just hearing the Lord lay something out. Because it's just an interesting time that we have together where he just lays out something I didn't know. And then at the end, he said, you finished your testimony to the city of Kalamazoo. (laughs) I was just like, I wrote in my Bible. You have finished your testimony in the city of Kalamazoo. And I'm like, the city of Kalamazoo doesn't listen to me. (laughs) But he said, that's it. And I just knew. That was it. I finished my, and it doesn't mean I don't have more things that the Lord will say through me or more things to to highlight or accentuate what he said. But I knew I had finished a chapter of some sort back in March, or in May, May 20, whatever that was, the last meeting we had. And over the course of the last couple of months, Since the church started, I've always known there was going to be a moment when I stepped down from leadership. I've been talking to the the elders about it literally, probably annually since we started in the last last year and a half more. Just like, okay, this is happening in my life. I feel like this is a sign that we're getting closer. And about a year and a half ago, I said to the elders, I think it's about one to two years away, right? Isn't that about right? And... During the 10 days this year, or just leading up to it and then through it and then to now, we realized it's now. Now is the time when it's time for me to take a step back. And Samantha, and Sam and I heard the Lord together on this, that it's time to take a step back from leadership, like the formality of leadership. That doesn't mean that we'll stop leading. It means we're going to step into a role that the Lord always had for us. Now, John the Baptist, there was a moment in time when John the Baptist, he had baptized a ton of people, and Jesus started to baptize more. And John the Baptist said, I need to decrease while Jesus increases. And that's what he's saying to me. I've been teaching about the church and the body of Christ maturing, apostles, pastors, prophets, teachers, until we come into the fullness of the stature of Jesus, that we're no longer uh, thrown about by the, the winds of doctrine, the waves of trickery. 
And the Lord said, it's time that you stop just teaching that. You actually do it. Like, you actually take a step, decrease, not increase. And so last Sunday, Samantha and I resigned. Now, you probably, maybe you didn't even know that the, the Board of Elders is actually, LightHop is a corporation. It's a legal ecclesiastical corporation. So the, the law requires that we have certain officers in the church, president, secretary, treasurer. And Sam and I, since it started, have served as president and secretary. Sam is secretary. Just kidding. There she is, but I'm, I'm, I'm highlighting it because it's funny. So on Sunday, Samantha resigned as secretary and I resigned as president. Though we'll remain on the board of elders until about November. And then Samantha and I are going to step off of the board and make space for a new leadership of this church, new administrative leadership, which is probably the, the more relevant thing, but also new spiritual leadership. So these, God gives all authority. In fact, he says, pray for your police officers, pray for those in power, pray for the governor, because all authority is appointed by God. And we know it's time for the authority structure of this church to change. And I feel very good about this. I feel like this is a prophetic promise I've been waiting literally over six years for. I didn't know when it would happen. He's been telling me really clearly that it would happen. I was interpreting it in a way that kind of saves the things that I really like. And he was like, actually, that's the thing I want, that thing inside. And I'm starting to feel really the wisdom of it and the freedom of it. I didn't realize how much I was kind of like, oh, I like that. And as I try to open my arms to it, I'm realizing, oh, it's actually kind of become a little bit of a weight and a burden, and it's time for me to let it go. And so David Kind has graciously accepted the nomination to be president, and we voted, and he is now, David's the president of the, the board, and that's more of an administrative function than anything else. But he needs our prayers because that administrative function comes with spiritual leadership and authority. And so he really needs our prayers because he's going to be the one that's kind of directing the vision casting kind of from here on out. It's really important. And so when I say administratively, I'm talking in the flesh practically. So what that means is if you have a concern about the church, it would be typical for people to come to Sam and I and let us know. We really need to start recognizing that's going to be David, uh, Lonnie, and, and Paula, and Steph. That's where we're going to kind of start directing those things. So Sam and I will stay on the board for a while. Am I missing anything, Sammy? And the, and the, Paula is gonna, has agreed to accept the nomination for secretary. We voted, and Paula is secretary of the church. So you'll notice these administrative changes probably over time. Hopefully, you don't notice them too much. The way that the church is designed is we've always said there's no pastor of this church. So if we had done this excellently and perfectly, we really probably wouldn't recognize much change because the Holy Spirit should have been leading it all along and the Holy Spirit should still be leading it all along. Unfortunately, we don't do these things exactly perfectly. So we will notice a little, but we can pray into, hey, this is what we actually stand for as a church that if one person moves position, the whole church shouldn't move with it. It actually should keep on going with the Holy Spirit. Does that make sense? That's the way it's designed. That's what we've been praying into for literally six years. And now the Lord is going to give us a little test to see how we do with that. I'm looking forward to that test. So let's just, let's just pray for a second. We're going to pray for uh, the transition. Over time, when people aren't all sick or gone on vacation, we're going to take a moment. We're going to 
anoint the elders or pray for them, just real specifically get them up in front, but it doesn't make sense today. But we want to let you know as soon as possible kind of what had happened. So Holy Spirit, we're asking that you would help us um, to really believe what the Bible says about maturing as a, as a body of believers and coming into the fullness of what you have for us, Lord. And I just thank you, Father of glory, that when it's all said and done, your son is going to get all the credit. Your son is going to get all the glory for his bride having been matured. I just thank you that you said through Paul in Ephesians 5 that a husband's job is to cleanse his bride with the washing of the water in the word. So we're asking, Lord, in this season, would you wash us more? Would you make us more ready? Would you increase? Lord, I, just, I thank you that you've given me this moment to intentionally choose to decrease. I thank you that it's my choice to decrease. You let it be my choice and that I got to make it, God. I just thank you. You kept me from getting in the way of it. And so, Lord, I pray you'd help us to go forward from this and enjoy a new level of maturity and freedom and, and a new voice, a new take on what the Holy Spirit is saying in this room. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. I feel very excited about the prophecies. Now, you might be wondering, why November? Like, what's up with November? And so... The main reason for November is a lifelong dream of mine has been to go to Jerusalem. And Samantha and I are going to go to Jerusalem in December, December 15th for my birthday. We're going to be there from December 15th to December 22nd. And so I don't plan on doing a ton in December except for kind of spiritually getting ready for that and then going and then Christmas. So um, it is a vacation. We're going. We have return tickets. Don't get confused by the sackcloth in the Jerusalem and the stepping down like... That's, that's not what I think that is. Okay, so today I'm going to continue talking about praying with all prayer, letting God overcome darkness with vision. Vision is super important, and it's no accident that we're talking about vision today. So one of the things that has been core or central to my mandate in being a part of the body of Christ in Kalamazoo has been encouraging everyone that all can prophesy. That's actually been one of the main, if you've known me, some of you have known me, Abigail's known me probably her entire church life. and Your entire life, thank you. My longest running student, Abigail. So one of the main values that I've held ever since I was a kids church teacher was you can hear God. You can hear God and you can say what he's saying. This is really important because the promise of the end times is that darkness would increase. The main warning about the end times is actually a lack of vision. Darkness, spiritually, is a lack of vision. So what Jesus warned over and over and over about, and all the writers of the New Testament warned about it, in fact, we see it even in Isaiah, we see it in the prophets, that there was coming a time when darkness, deep darkness, would cover the earth. That's talking about understanding. That's talking about seeing what was happening spiritually from God's perspective, but... There's a light that arises and shines in that time of darkness. That's really what we're talking about when we're talking about the tabernacle of David. And I'm going to kind of start to lay that out beginning this week, but continuing in the, the weeks to come. So Proverbs 29, 18. Where there is no revelation, the people cast off restraint. But happy is he who keeps the law. If you want restraint, you need revelation. You need to actually understand what it is that God is doing reacting to the things that happen, that's the opposite of revelation. 
knowing that God said something, believing it, and then anticipating it, that keeps you steady when no one else knows what's going on. You actually, literally, revelation is what's keeping me steady through the biggest change in my life. This is, this is by far the biggest change in my life. Like, next to getting married and having kids, letting this kind of decrease happen is the biggest and hardest change. But revelation, prophetic revelation, is what's keeping me steady through it. That's really important. It's actually helped me interpret a lot of things that would normally confuse me. It's helped me interpret it. Okay, so God wants a witness that he is God of the fruitful. The world cannot receive the Holy Spirit. How many of you know that the world can't receive the Holy Spirit? That's John 14, 17. It can't receive him because it can't see him. Who gives vision. So the Holy Spirit is the one who gives vision to those who are God's. So because he won't force, God won't force the world to receive the Holy Spirit, a witness is the only vision available to the spiritless world. Your witness of I'm led by the Spirit is the only vision the world possibly could have of what it means to follow God. So we might be like, if I would just teach the world about following God, they'll understand it. The Bible doesn't says that that's not true. Actually, if you learn to follow God, the world will receive a light, a witness in the darkness that they can see, and then they can decide, I want the Spirit in me or I don't. And many will not want the Spirit when they see the witness of the Spirit, but some will, some will. God's judgments are designed to create a need for God. And then what that does is it puts the eyes of the world on the witnesses. When people don't know what's happening, they're like, this makes no sense. This political party shouldn't really care about that or shouldn't do that. This army shouldn't be going here. This doesn't make any sense. What's motivating people? There's a witness in the earth that says that's actually delusion and confusion, and there's a devil that's manipulating the world, but there's a witness of people who are led by the Holy Spirit. So all the judgment is intended to break down the stuff man is good at. It's actually intended to create a need. Anybody see a need in the earth right now? What's some of the needs you see in the earth right now? Say it loud. Peace. Yes. That's a judgment, the taking of peace. It's the second seal, actually. What's some else? Food. Yes. There's, I mean, clearly, much of the world right now is talking about a massive food shortage that is guaranteed. Everybody's saying there is a lack of food because of the Ukrainian war primarily, but also because of the supply chain disruptions. This is, the Lord is actually doing this. That's the third seal, right? It talks about a lack and then the prices of everything going up. Anybody seen the prices of a bunch of stuff going up? That's the third seal. It's maturing right now in our day. So this judgment, it's creating a need, and the world is looking for what to make of this. How do we make sense of this? And there's a group guaranteed in the Bible called witnesses or the bride or those coming out of the church that are a witness that there's a different value system and a different supply chain than what the world is experiencing. There's a different, and when I say value system, there's a value system for humility and generosity, not for keeping and hoarding and trying to survive. Do you see what I'm saying? This is part of the decrease that the Lord has called me to, is that there are people that don't know God that would be like, why would you start a church and then step back from the leadership of it, but stay there? That seems, that doesn't make any sense. But it's a witness that the earth is looking for, like John the Baptist. John the Baptist prepared people to see Jesus. And so we should all be following this witness. So when we see something like what we see happening in church right now, it's when you first connect with a church that has a lot of opportunity for the, for the congregants, it's very tempting to think, oh, there's a lot of opportunity for me here. But we should actually be seeing there's a lot of opportunity for you here. And then take a step to the side and let other people 
come into the places that we want. I've been teaching this literally since 2016. Actually, since New City, I was teaching this. So we all should be like, this isn't a lot of opportunity for me. It's a lot of opportunity for the family of God. And if I'm really going to be a leader in it, then I kind of help people keep filling in the roles that I would like for myself. This is something I'm praying that we all kind of follow each other in. It's not just like one guy and then everybody follows the one guy. We all have things that we're good at and that we're, we're kind of naturally skilled at. And then we read in the Bible, we find out, oh, our skill is kind of our weakness. Like our, where we lack a need for God, that's kind of our weakness. But we can help people with our skill by laying it down and making space for others. Does that make sense? So when I say that God's judgments are designed to create a need for God, they are. Some people are just naturally skilled at trusting God about food. That doesn't mean that they use that faith or those words of knowledge or that prophetic ability to know what to do in the judgment to then build themselves a little tower to stand on the top and to tell everybody else what to do so that they're important and famous and rich. That's what false prophets do. Do you see what I'm saying? We should all be like, okay, where do I have some peace in this? How do I get other people into this peace? How do I get other people into this faith? How do I get other people into the spirit of prophecy? How do I get other people into prophetic worship? How do I move people into the place I have found so valuable to me? And then we become like a river instead of like a pond. So that came out in worship today. Prophetically, it came out. We need to be streams of living water. And the way that you become a river is you drink, and then the stream flows out of your belly. But if you drink and you're like, no, I got to keep this for me. If I let this go, I might not get any more. And he's like, I'm not a hard man. I'm not a hard man. I will give you if you're faithful. I will give you more if you trust me. Faith requires risk. It requires letting go, okay? Now, overwhelming need, oh, I'm sorry, trying to address that need instead of letting people grope for God in the light of a witness is Antichrist. So if you're like, okay, I, I get it's dark. People don't know what to do. I have something. I kind of know what to do. I'm going to be God to people. I'm going to kind of take them line by line, note by note, through what they need to know. The Lord would say, that's actually Antichrist. Don't do that. I didn't teach you that way. I actually showed you some things in the witness of people who know me, and you caught it, and you were like, I want that. Now, there doesn't mean there isn't a place for teaching and there isn't a place for discipleship, but most of the discipleship is actually going to happen in the millennial reign. That's when Jesus is going to disciple the nations. So we don't want to get ahead of Jesus. We actually want to be a witness of people who are discipled by the Lord, and then we make space for other people. There's a lot of people that we're going to find in the great cloud of witnesses in in, uh, Hebrews 11 and 12. They never owned one of these. Like, if you look at the list of names in Hebrews 11 about sodded to, you know, cast out, rejected, they didn't accept the relief because they wanted a better sacrifice. Most of those people never even had a Bible. And we'd be like, well, I got to give you the 13-point Bible study that the guy gave me. I got to give it to you. Make sure you know all this stuff. And that's not salvation. Salvation is knowing God. So we want to be a witness of people that know God. But if we try to fill the need that God is creating by judgment, We put ourselves in the place of God, and we start to attract people to ourselves, become God. That's antichrist. Does that make sense? So there's going to be a lot more need. I heard the Lord say to me, I said it to my mom a couple days ago, and I think it kind of shocked her. I think America is going to be pretty much unrecognizable in about 12 months. I felt like the Lord said this to me. He's been talking to me about change for a long time. He's been getting me ready for massive changes. You can just hear it in the news. Can you hear it? Like there's a growing hatred of Christians right now 
because of the Supreme Court decisions, because there's a confusion about what it means to be a Christian. There's a lot of people that think you, because you follow Jesus, are like a whole different group that you're not like at all. A whole different group, and they're very angry at this group. Freedom is going away. I want to tell you, globally, freedom is going away. Individual countries, I believe, are going to start to merge into different realities just to address need. Massive need is coming to the earth. It's clear. It's clear. This has been prophesied for thousands of years, decades. We've been watching it unfold, and we're mostly not responding in vision. You want to have vision. Otherwise, you will not stay steady while these things unfold. You get offended. You'll actually get angry. You'll start reacting instead of calming down and saying, okay, this, this is what the Lord said would happen. It's happening differently than I thought it would, but this is what the Lord said would happen. And then flowing with it in a way that makes us more loving, peaceful, joyful, self-controlled, right? All the fruits of the Spirit. We, as, we, as we see the judgments unfold and we submit to the prophetic leadership of the Holy Spirit, we should be growing in the fruits of the Spirit. That's how we know that's what we're doing. So overwhelming need will create confusion as the lawless church begins to impatiently address perceived need. Perceived need is way different than real need. Real need is for the leadership of the Holy Spirit. Perceived need is for all the things the Holy Spirit will do. So when you, when you see the real need, you're like, oh, I can't make you abide in the vine. I have to abide in the vine. If I abide in the vine, you might abide in the vine, and that's where we're going to find everything we need. But if the perceived need is, oh, I got all this stuff in the vine. Let me give it all to you. But then people would abide in you, right? That's not okay with the Lord. He does not want anyone abiding in me or you. He wants everyone abiding in Jesus, okay? So overwhelming need will create confusion as the lawless church begins to impatiently address perceived need. Fruitless works will add to the delusion. So a lot of people, as they're addressing perceived need, they're going to just start running harder and harder because the need is going to get worse and worse and worse, and this will create more and more confusion. So what we want to do is be a people that we're not reacting to darkness increasing. We should be a people that are shining more brightly as darkness increases, and we kind of address it commensurately, like arise and shine in the midst of deep, deep darkness is the way it says it in Isaiah. Okay, so Psalm 127, 1 to 5. A song of a sense of Solomon. Unless the Lord builds the house, they labor in vain who build it. Unless the Lord guards the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. So here we hear, we hear of two needs. Need, one for shelter, one for protection. This is no accident. The Lord is saying when you need protection, if you try to protect yourself, you're doing it in vain. When you need shelter, you try to shelter yourself, you're doing it in vain. This is the wisdom of Solomon. He had more wisdom than anybody. The watchman stays awake in vain. It's vain for you to rise up early and to sit up late to eat the bread of sorrows, for so he gives his beloved sleep. So you can know if you're doing something in vain, if you're eating the bread of sorrow. If it seems like this is all futile, this is a waste, I'm wasting my time, I'm trying to guard this thing for the Lord, or I'm trying to build this thing for the Lord, but it's wearing me out, it's wasting my time. That's how you know you're eating the bread of sorrow, you're futile. Actually, the thing that God wants to do is protect you, build something for you so you can be satisfied. It's Mary. It's Mary sitting at the feet of Jesus, not Martha getting kind of burned out and mad about all the work that she's doing, and it's not really producing what she wants it to produce. Behold, children, that's fruit. That's something that's born. Our heritage of the Lord, the fruit of the womb, is a reward. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior, so are the children of one's youth. Now, if you're a parent, Chances are you didn't find a bunch of body parts and construct a child. I hope you didn't. I mean, that would be weird. Maybe that'd be a good movie. But if you're a parent, 
you did something and the Lord brought forth a child and it really wasn't up to you. Like you had a say in it, you had a yes in it, but the Lord is the one that did the miracle of life and did the miracle of birth. That's what this is talking about. So you don't want to build your own children. You actually want to plant the seeds, pull the weeds, and let the Lord bring fruitfulness from you. That's, you know, obviously that can get into a weird metaphor, but my point is we want to be a people that are farmers and actually agree with the Lord that he's the only one that can make life happen, okay? Like arrows in the hand of a warrior, so are the children of one's youth. Happy is the man who has a quiver full of them. They shall not be ashamed, but shall speak with their enemies in the gate. What that means is if you actually submit to the Lord in this risky process of you doing the thing you're supposed to do and letting God be God, then what happens is when everything is breaking, you have a strength to endure all of that. Now, David is the preeminent example of this actually happening. When we think about the story of David, and I, actually, let's, let's go forward in the notes to page three. We're going to go outside of the notes for a second because I heard the Holy Spirit say to do this, okay? Now, only God can be victorious in vision because only God knows what's going to happen. And he gives us daily bread. He gives us bread in real time because he likes for us to need him. So he, there's nobody that he's told all the stuff that's going to happen, and they're the ones that you got to know, and they're the ones that you got to follow. They wrote the book. You got to read it. If you do, you're fine. There's nobody like that because God is that one. God is the one who wants you to rely on him daily for direction and how to get out of the messes that we got ourselves into, okay? Now, the heart of David is to see the majesty and the holiness or set-apart nature of the living God. That's what made David unique in his generation is he saw God as alive, he saw him as majestic, and he saw him as holy or set apart. He didn't mix God with man's strength at all. He refused to do that, okay? Now, 1 Samuel 17, 39 to 46. David put on, strapped the sword over it, and took a step or two to see what it was like. What, what, is, this story tell, what is this telling the story of David putting what on? Saul's armor. The best armor in the land. The king had the best armor. For he had never worn such things before. I can't go on these, he protested to Saul. I'm not used to them. So David took them off again. He picked up five smooth stones from a stream and put them into a shepherd's bag. Then, armed only with his shepherd's staff and sling, he started across the valley to fight the Philistine. Goliath walked out toward David with his shield bearer ahead of him, sneering in contempt at this ruddy-faced boy. Am I a dog, he wrote at David, that you come at me with a stick. And he cursed David by the names of his gods. Come over here, and I'll give your flesh to the birds and wild animals, Goliath yelled. David replied to the Philistine, you come to me with sword, spear, and javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of heaven's armies, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. He didn't even see the, a threat as against him. He was like, you're talking bad about God. I might be a little boy with a, arrow and, or with a sling and stones, but it's him you've got to deal with. He had a vision for this. He was not confused by Goliath standing in front of him. If he would have reacted to Goliath like everybody else, he would have been cowering with his brothers and with Saul. He wasn't reacting. He had something in his mind that was taking him through this moment. You need this. You need vision for what's coming. David replied to the Philistine, you come to me with sword, spear, and javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of heaven's armies, the God of, our, of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. The, today the Lord will conquer you, and I will kill you and cut off your head. Who is going to win the, the victory? God, the Lord. He says, the Lord's going to conquer you. I'm going to get the, the honor of cutting off your head once you're dead. And then I will give the dead bodies of your men to the birds and wild animals, and the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. That's what David saw this moment as. Not a moment for David to be great, a moment for God to be great. 
That's the vision that you need. You need a, a vision that you're not going to steal from the witness of God. You don't want to be the one that leads the kid line by line to the Lord. You want to be the one that tells somebody, God led me this way, and he'll lead you too if you want him to. You want God to be great. You do not want to be the one that saves the marriage. You don't want to be the one that heals the sick. You want God to be the one. That's why John the Baptist said, I have to decrease while he increases. Jesus, he was, he was very clear in his witness that he only did what he saw the Father doing. He gave, God, he gave the Father credit for all that he did, and he is God. All over the world, God is gathering out of the church and out of Israel ones and twos to gather them to Zion. He's appointed shepherds after David or the man after God's own heart. This is Jeremiah 3. This is on page 4 of the notes. We'll go back to the other part in a minute. Jeremiah 3, 13 to 17. Only acknowledge your iniquity. This is what the Lord requires from you, to acknowledge your iniquity. Where are you compromised? Where do you mix heaven and earth? Where do you pray and then add to it because you don't think that the prayer is really enough? That's the idolatry that he's addressing in Israel in Jeremiah 3. Only acknowledge your iniquity that you've transgressed against the Lord your God and have scattered your charms to the alien deities under every green tree. And you've not obeyed my voice, says the Lord. Does he say you didn't hear me? No, he says you didn't listen. You didn't obey me. You didn't do what I said. You're mine. We're in relationship. You're my family. You hear me, but you just don't trust me. You don't trust me. Because what God was asking them to do was very difficult. He was asking them to give up the fight and defect to the Babylonians. It doesn't make any sense unless you have prophetic vision and understand what the judgment is for. That's what Jeremiah was prophesying. He was prophesying this judgment is from the Lord. Agree with the judgment. Agree with it. But that didn't make any sense to Israel. They were trying to save what they had. Return, O backslidden children, says the Lord, for I am married to you. I will take you, one from a city and two from a family, and I'll bring you to Zion. That's Jerusalem. That's actually Mount Zion or the Temple Mount. And I will give you shepherds according to my heart who will feed you with knowledge and understanding. They didn't really care about that. It was only the ones and the twos that cared about the fact that God would give them shepherds after his heart. You want to actually listen for the vision of people that are growing in the fruits of the Spirit. You want to listen for their vision. You don't want to give in to the fruitless works of striving. You don't want to give in to the pressure that the world is going to put on the church to just stop just praying and do something. Do something. This is about a corporate prayer meeting called the Tabernacle of David. David understood this because he lived it out in risk. He actually lived out in risk, waiting on the Lord, trusting in him, and letting the Lord establish him. Then it shall come to pass when you are multiplied and increased in the land in those days. That says the Lord, but they will say no more, the ark of the covenant of the Lord. So he's saying, I'm going to give you shepherds after my heart. They're going to lead you to Zion. They're going to give you understanding and knowledge. And then I'm going to gather you all, everyone who listens to these shepherds, the ones and the twos. I'm going to gather you to Jerusalem. And then I'm going to give you a whole new heart. And you're not going to need somebody to teach you anymore. You're actually going to know me because you listen to the shepherd after my heart. The shepherd was working himself out of a job is what that is about, okay? It shall come to pass when you're multiplied and increased in the land in those days, says the Lord. They will say no more of the ark of the covenant of the Lord. It shall not come to mind, nor shall they remember it, nor shall they visit it, nor shall it be made anymore. He's saying the law is going to be done away with. That's what that means. What was in the ark of the covenant? The tablets of the law and the manna and the Aaron's rod that budded. So he's saying, we're gonna, there's going to be a new reality of knowing me, okay? 
At that time, Jerusalem shall be called the throne of the Lord, and all the nations shall be gathered to it, to the name of the Lord, to Jerusalem. No more shall they follow the dictates of their evil hearts. They will stop listening to their flesh, and they will only listen to the spirit of prophecy. They will only listen to me by the spirit. David's tabernacle, now David's tabernacle, what it was, was a spirit-led prayer movement. It was only spirit-led. It was prophetic. He actually demanded that the sons of his captains prophesy in the house of the Lord. He did not want the flesh speaking in the house of the Lord. In fact, there were moments throughout Israel's history when the tabernacle was rebuilt or the temple was rebuilt where outsiders were then dwelling in the house of the Lord and Nehemiah was one who cleaned out the house of the Lord. He's like, that can't be in here. It's for prophetic release. It's for prophetic revelation. Tobias is one that uh, Nehemiah got out of there. David's tabernacle is the end-time prayer movement Jesus is raising up. So there's going to be lots of prayer moves that will raise up. There's one that Jesus is raising up. You want to be part of the one Jesus is raising up. There's no other move in the end times of prayer that is attributed to Jesus rebuilding it except for the tabernacle of David. So there's lots of different... We've been talking about all prayer for uh, the last five messages that I've done. There's personal prayer. There's corporate prayer that's not the tabernacle of David. There's there's all kinds of prayer. They're good. But there's one that Jesus is raising up. All of the other prayer should be feeding us into the tabernacle of David. But other prayer moves are going to compete with the tabernacle of David. In fact, there will be pagan prayer movements that compete with the tabernacle of David. What would some of those be? We can can actually hear the cries right now. Anybody seen any protests downtown? Those are pagan prayer movements that are competing with the tabernacle of David. There's a lot of unity around them. There'll be other religions that do prayer. Muslims fast for an entire month, the month of Ramadan. They fast and pray. Every religion prays, but there's one that Jesus is raising up, and it's the tabernacle of David. You actually have to understand how different the tabernacle of David is from every other kind of prayer. Otherwise, you will just lump it all together and be like, yeah, I pray, yeah, corporate prayer, yeah, tabernacle of David, yeah, that's great, I love it, I love it, let's do this thing, and we'll call it the tabernacle of David, but that's not the tabernacle of David. There's one tabernacle of David that Jesus is raising up by his spirit. Now, it will take many expressions, but they will all have some real clear attributes that made it the tabernacle of David. The primary one is that it's prophetic, okay? I'm not going to get into all those yet. In the coming weeks when I get to talk, I'm going to be talking about the different attributes of the tabernacle of David. But today I'm just kind of highlighting the need for vision. Without vision, you won't do the tabernacle of David. You'll get confused. You'll start reacting to what's happening. You'll just kind of water down what it means to do the tabernacle of David and think you're staying faithful because you're just praying. But that's not faithful. Faithful is taking the risk on the thing the devil hates and letting him accuse you while you stay faithful to the Lord and making decisions that don't make sense to people. Because that's what the tabernacle of David did in David's day, and it's what it will do in our day for people that are faithful, okay? Many prayer movements in and out of the church will confuse the church. It's essential to have vision for the one move of prayer Jesus calls faithful. Now, he calls it faithful in Luke 18, verses 78. He says, will I not avenge my own elect who cry to me day and night? I tell you, I will speedily, but will I find faith? So we know day and night prayer is what he calls faithful. It's clear in the Bible. Acts 15, 15 to 20. And with this, the words of the prophets agree, just as it is written. After this, I will return, and I will, who's the I in this passage? Who's, who's the Messiah that's going to return? Everybody should know this answer. Jesus, thank you. Okay, yes. 
It's all about him. Okay. After this, I will return. He's the one returning. And will rebuild the tabernacle of David, which has fallen down. I will rebuild its ruins and will set it up. You won't find any other move of prayer that the Lord himself claims, I'm coming back to build this. Do you recognize how privileged we are to be in this room? This is a Jesus doing it thing. Not a Tom, Sam doing a thing. Not a Lonnie and Paula, Dave and Steph doing a thing. Not a any of us in this room doing a thing. This is a thing that Jesus promised thousands of years ago, even before he was on the earth in a physical form, through the logos, through the prophets. And, and James here says, all the prophets agree. This is all about the tabernacle of David. Now, what, were they, what decision were they trying to make in this passage? Anybody know? They're trying to decide if new converts to Messianic Judaism, which is what they saw themselves as, as Messianic Jews, they were trying to figure out if new converts had to follow the old Jewish law. And they were like, no, 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 no. Jesus is doing something amazing right here. This is about the leadership of the Holy Spirit. Let's tell them the basics of what it should look like if they're following the Spirit. But let's not put restraint on them and try to be God to them. Let's let them find God. All the Gentiles who are known by, name, by my name, or all the Gentiles will call on the name of the Lord. I'm messing it up. Let's read it. Okay, so that the rest of mankind may seek the Lord, even all the Gentiles who are called by my name, says the Lord who does all these things. Known to God from eternity are all his works. What does that mean? Known to God from eternity are all his works. We don't know what he's doing. That's what that means. God knows what he's doing. We're, we're reacting to the fact that new people are trying to be Jew, Messianic Jews. We're trying to conform them to something we understand. And they're saying, no, God's doing something totally different right here. Do you see what I'm saying? We have to be willing to be changed in our understanding. We have to be willing to let God move us into something new. Therefore, I judge that we should not trouble those from among the Gentiles who are turning to God, but that we write to them, abstain from things polluted by idols, from sexual immorality, and things strangled and from blood. Let's just give them the basic highlights of, hey, if you're following the Spirit, he's not saying that. And then let's let them find God. Let's let them find God in worship and prayer. That's what Paul and the other writers of the New Testament were doing. They were setting up centers of worship and prayer, and it was creating revival throughout Asia. Like, it was powerful. Thousands were getting saved at a time. This is the fruitfulness the Bible is looking for. Not that we find one or two, teach them line by line, try to get them to see God. No, he wants a witness that we're tarrying for power that will save thousands at a time. That's what you'll read about in the Bible. That's what you see in the Bible. Almost exclusively, not exclusively, but almost exclusively. Well-meaning, impatient, lawless people will add confusion that will distract the faithful who will be accused of not really doing anything. Because we actually believe this. We actually believe in the prayer movement Jesus has promised to put his name on, to erect. That his ancestor David, he's going to sit on that throne. That's what the angel Gabriel told Mary. The need in the last days is for vision, not action. If you look, if you search it out, I, I challenge you to test me on this. Every time the Lord talks about need in the last days, whether by, through himself in the Gospels or through the writers of the New Testament... It's always about vision. It's never about action. Now, that vision should lead us to action. We should actually have a concern for widows and orphans. We should have a concern for the poor. We should have a concern for the persecuted, mostly the persecuted. It's almost always brethren. But that, those actions, they can only come from vision because otherwise you get into lawless actions that make the problems worse, not better, okay? So listen. Micah 3, 5 to 7. Thus says the Lord concerning the prophets who make my people stray, who chant peace while they chew with their teeth, but who prepare war against him who puts nothing into their mouths. 
Therefore, you shall have night without vision, and you shall have darkness without divination. The sun shall go down on the prophets, and the day shall be dark for them. So the seers shall be ashamed, and the diviners abashed. Indeed, they shall cover their lips, for there is no answer from God. False prophecy is the promise that will lead to no prophecy. So false prophets, they always fail. Their, their promises of peace, their promises of success, they're like heavy clouds with no rain. They're designed to burn people out. They're designed to get you to believe something is going to work that then fails at exactly the wrong moment. But I'm telling you, waiting on the Lord in the spirit of prophecy, understanding deep darkness was always guaranteed. I need vision right now so that I can stay steady through the time when nobody knows what's going on and I can know by the spirit of prophecy and I don't have to be derailed by my emotions. I don't have to react to what's going on. I can know for sure that the Lord has told me I would be in this place and he's going to tell me tomorrow where I'm going to be. He's going to tell me the next day where I'm going to be. I've got an oil that drips into my lamp and will never run out because he's a never-ending source and I actually agree so I make space for others to come into all the places of receiving the spirit of prophecy that I would want for myself so that I can be a person that's a river and not a pond. That I can be a person that actually makes space for other people to abide in the vine. This is so important. But it's so tempting to, because we are well-meaning and we are impatient. I'm not talking about everybody else. We are lawless. And we will add to the confusion if we don't dial down and start decreasing, just like John the Baptist. It's the spirit of Elijah. That's what he's calling for. Not winning arguments, not winning positions, not winning the world. Actually, being willing to lose the world and not forfeit our souls. It's very important. The judgment Jesus uses to shift the church, this is the judgment. Is it inflation? No. Is it war? No. Is it martyrdom? No. The judgment Jesus uses... Is darkness. It's midnight. If you look, when he sifts the wise from the foolish bridesmaids, it's darkness. When he sifts the faithful servant from the unrighteous servant, it's a delay. It's confusion. It's darkness. It's not understanding what's going on. Understanding is the judgment Jesus uses to sift the church. It's not the mark of the beast. Though you will take the mark of the beast if you have no vision. It will manifest as a symptom. But the spiritual problem is a lack of vision, a lack of abiding. Matthew 24, 9 to 14, then they will deliver you up to tribulation and kill you. You will be hated by all nations for my name's sake. Then many will be offended, will betray one another, will hate one another. Then many false prophets will rise up and deceive many. And because lawlessness abounds, the love of many will grow cold. It's vision. Do you see that? Do you see that it's a vision in this passage? It's false prophets taking advantage of the confusion of tribulation, saying the exact wrong thing at the exact right time and getting a bunch of people offended and broken all at the wrong moment, not seeing, oh, tribulation was guaranteed. Yes, of course, this is great. This is the timing that the Lord's been talking about. I didn't know what was going to happen. Known to the Lord are all of his works of eternity, but I know I can recognize in this moment, this is something he told me would happen, and I can walk forward in it with vision, and I can trust he'll give me more vision. I can abide. I don't have to react to the darkness increasing. I don't have to try and put out the fires. I don't have to try to meet the needs of the people around me. I can actually get into the place of sitting at his feet, letting him tell me the next thing. 
There's a company of people. They will meet the Lord in the end times. Turn with me for a second to Isaiah 24. Holy Spirit, would you breathe on this? Isaiah 24. Verse 1, you can find it as I read it. Behold, the Lord makes the earth empty and makes it waste. Who makes it waste? The Lord. Distorts its surface, scatters abroad its inhabitants, and it shall be with the people, so with the priest. Church isn't going to save you. As with the servant, so with his master. As with the maid, so with her mistress. As with the buyer, so with the seller. As with the lender, so with the borrower. As with the creditor, so with the debtor. I'm going to make sure I don't have any debt. He's like, you, you just put a target on your back. If that's your answer, get rid of all the debt. I'm going to find you. So with the creditor, so with the debtor. The land shall be entirely emptied and utterly plundered, for the Lord has spoken this word. There's only one safe place is the point. It's not in the food you store. It's not in the water you have access to. It's not in the money you kept safe from the government. It's none of that. It's none of that. You know what it is? It's singing. It's singing. That's the only safe place. You're going to see it in just a second. The earth mourns and fades away. The world languishes and fades away. The haughty people of the earth languish. The earth also is defiled under its inhabitants. Can you feel the weight of this? This is happening right now in your hour. This is happening in a way it has not happened since Isaiah uttered these words. Because they have transgressed the laws, changed the ordinance, broken the everlasting covenant. Therefore, the curse has devoured the earth. Those who dwell in it are desolate. Therefore, the inhabitants of the earth are burned and few men are left. The new wine fails. The vine languishes. I've been tracking wine production since 2013. I want to tell you this is the worst year for wine ever, and it's been consistently, with one exception, 2016 was the one year that wine production went up on this planet. It's been languishing. It's failing. The desire for wine is going through the roof right now. Right now, that's why the price is going so high on everything. People are all wanting the same thing at the same time. This is in the Bible. This is happening right before your eyes. Chapter 24, yes, sir. The mirth of the tambourine ceases. What happened with COVID? Every music venue on the planet stopped. Everyone. The mirth of the tambourine ceases. The noise of the jubilant ends. The joy of the harp ceases. They shall not drink wine with the song. Bars were closed globally. Globally. Think about this. The city of confusion. Everybody say confusion. That's why it's broken. People are reacting. No, you're not going to take that from me. No, I'm going to make sure that doesn't happen to me again. No, I'm going to do this. No, I'm going to do that. It's confusion. It's just reaction. No, this was supposed to happen. This is, this is actually right on track. I'm lining my life up for the next thing. I've been lining my life up to move for like three years, four years, because I know where we're at time-wise. Are you getting ready? Are you listening to vision? Or are you just waiting to see? Are you waiting to react to the next thing? If you're waiting to react to the next thing, I can tell you what's going to happen to you. Your city's going to get broken. Why? Well, it's because of what Isaiah said. He said, I met the Lord, Isaiah 6. I saw the Lord, his train, his, the, ro the train of his robe filled the temple. I realized I was a man of unclean lips. He touched my lips with the coal. He said, who will go for me? I said, I'll go. What's the message? He said, give them eyes that are blind, ears that are deaf. And I said, how long, Lord? He said, until the cities are destroyed. Because you don't want me. You don't want vision. You don't want revelation. You want to save your life, but you got to lose it. You got to lose it. And you will never let go of this life until you get a vision worth dying for. you got to get a vision worth dying for. And you can't give it to anybody else. You can't share that oil. You could just be a witness that you got it. That you got it. 
They shall not drink wine with a song. Strong drink is bitter to those who drink it. The city of confusion is broken down. Every house is shut up so that none may go in. That's literally happened globally for like 18 months. There's a cry for wine in the streets. All joy is dark, and now we're getting into what's about to happen. The mirth of the land is gone, and the city desolation is left, and the gate is stricken with destruction. When it shall be thus, in the midst of the land, among the people, it shall be like the shaking of an olive tree, like the gleaning of grapes when the vintage is done. There'll be hardly anything left. They shall lift up their voice. with. They shall sing for the man majesty of the Lord, they shall cry aloud from the sea. There is a small group of people that sings their way through this darkness. They worship the Lord. They see prophetically in vision, not vision of what they see around them. In faith, they say, this is exactly what he told us is going to happen. It's right on time. I'm not going to miss it. I'm going to sing. I don't care what the earth says about it. I'm going to worship. I'm going to pray. And I'm going to let the Lord write his law on my heart. I'm not going to try to save the world. I'm not going to try to evangelize the world into something that I don't even really do. I'm going to sit at his feet. I'm going to learn how to abide. I'm going to stop being confused and reacting to the darkness. And I'm actually going to be a part of this company of people that the Bible's prophesied for literally 6,000 years. Literally. 6,000 years. That's what he promised to Abraham. He said, I'm going to make your descendants as numerous as the stars. Come away with me from the land of your fathers into a place I'll show you. Come with me into the unknown. Come with me into something you don't understand. Let me lead you. Let me guide you. Stop reacting to your family's history and to your inheritance, to what you think you can eke out of this life. This isn't life. Come away with me into the unknown. And it's something that nobody else is doing. He made Abraham a father of heaven. The entire company, the great cloud of witnesses, they're going to have an inheritance found in Abraham's faithfulness to come out of his father's house and to follow God. What kind of God is this that takes a guy and gives him this kind of progeny? It's the same God calling you, and you don't know what he'll give you. You don't know what your seed looks like in a billion years. You might be a person heaven sings about because you love Jesus and let him increase while you decrease. You just might be, but maybe you won't be. Maybe you'll be like every other soul on the planet that had no vision and just died in his dust and will be miserable for billions of years because it didn't think God was a good man. It just thought he was a hard man. It ought to try to keep what it could. Do you want to be that people? I don't want to be that people. This is the greatest moment to be alive on the planet right now. There's so much reward for trusting God. It's so hard. It's so hard. It's impossible. Generations before you, they had more reasons to believe things were going to be okay than you do. That means there's more reward. That means it's more faithful to believe him now than it was before when we first started. We're that much closer. Do you see what I'm saying? couple more minutes. Therefore, glorify the Lord in the dawning light, the name of the Lord God of Israel in the coastlands of the sea, because he wants a witness. He's breaking everything so people will look for a witness, a witness, a vision. Turn with me, Joel 3. This is more fun than notes for me. <laughs> Joel 3. Hosea and Joel. I feel like Joel is sometimes the hardest book to actually get to. 
68. Thank you, Tim. Joel 3, 13, 14 for me. Tim's ahead of me. Okay. God judges the nations. For behold, in those days, at that time, when I bring back the captives of Judah and Jerusalem. When did God do that? When did God bring back the captives of Judah and Jerusalem? 1948. I will also gather all nations and bring them down to the valley of Jehoshaphat. How long has it taken God to gather all nations to the valley of Jehoshaphat? Since 1948. And I will enter into judgment with them there on account of my people, my heritage Israel, whom they've scattered among the nations. Do you think for God, the reestablishment of Israel as a nation in 1948 kind of settled the issue? And he's like, okay, nations, slate's clear. No. <laughs> no, God has a controversy with the nations. Does God have a controversy with the United States? Absolutely. Yes. Yes. He gave them into our hand, and we treated them harshly. That's what it says in Isaiah 47. We laid the burden, the yoke on them, heavy. We're doing it right now. Biden's going there. He's laying the burden heavy. God's got a controversy with the nations. Now, Trump, he divided up the land, too, just so you know. They've also divided up my land, have cast lots for my people, have given a boy as a payment for a harlot and sold a girl for wine that they may drink. Think any politicians involved in any of these negotiations did that? Yeah. Indeed. What have you to do with me, O Tyre and Sidon, and all the coast of Philistia? Will you retaliate against me? But if you retaliate against me swiftly and speedily, I will return your retaliation upon your own head. Woe to Gaza. I want to tell you, woe to the West Bank. Woe. Because you have taken my silver and my gold and carried it into your temples, my prized possessions, including the church in America. And the people of Judah and the people of Jerusalem, you have sold to the Greeks that you may remove them far from their borders. Behold, I will raise them out of the place to which you have sold them and return to your retaliation upon your own head. I will sell your sons and your daughters. Whose sons and daughters? Ours. Ours. Into the hand of the people of Judah, and they will sell them to the Sabians, to a people far off, for the Lord has spoken. Proclaim this among the nations. Prepare for war. Wake up the mighty men. Let all the men of war draw near. Let them come up. Beat your plowshares into swords and your pruning hooks into spears. This is the opposite of the rest that God promised through Isaiah, that they would take their short swords and beat them into plowshares. He's like, no, you didn't want that. You didn't want the peace that came from vision, so get ready to fight. That's what he's saying. You didn't want to actually be a person that trusted in God and actually stayed in the place of worship. You wanted to fight back against all the bad guys. He's like, turn your plowshare into swords right now. We're going to fight. Me and you, we're going to fight. That's what Jesus says to Pergamos. He says, I'm going to come and fight you with the sword of my mouth because you won't repent. You use the prophetic gift for your own increase. I'm going to come fight you with my mouth. That's what he says to Pergamos. Prepare for war. Assemble and come, all you nations, to get, gather together all around. Cause your mighty ones to go down there. So when you hear this, you have to understand the desolation that Isaiah 24 is describing. It's because people are fighting each other. That's why that happens. They don't want the peace that comes from just waiting at the feet of Jesus. They don't want the vision that comes that you have to believe without seeing. They don't want to be the weird ones that just do the thing that the world says is bad. And so he's like, okay, let's fight then. If you want to fight, I'm coming to take over the earth. This vision that comes from heaven, it's from me. I'm actually coming to own the earth. You don't believe it. So let's fight now. So the way he does that is he starts desolating the cities. That's what he told Isaiah in Isaiah 6. Are our cities desolate? Have you, has anybody looked at the Facebook page for the Kalamazoo Police Department in the last 24 hours? How many killings? How many shootings? How many shootings? In the last 24 hours. In Kalamazoo. 
This is new. I don't know if you know this. This hasn't always been like this. Like, this is massively increasing. Our cities are becoming desolate. We're supposed to be a people that are like, I'm done fighting the Dems. I'm done fighting the conservatives. I'm done fighting the, these people. I'm done fighting the Satanists. I'm done fighting everybody. I'm going to sit at the feet of Jesus. I'm done fighting inflation. I'm done fighting the last block of, loss of food. I'm done fighting the culture trying to steal my kids' minds. I'm going to sit at the feet of Jesus. I'm actually going to let him tell me what to do. What am I fighting, Jesus? He's going to be like, you're fighting this in here. You're fighting your own heart, your own self-leadership. That's what I'm saving you from is you. You. Let the nations be wakened and come up to the valley of Jehoshaphat. For there I will sit to judge all the surrounding nations. Put in the sickle, for the harvest is ripe. Come, go down, for the wine press is full. The vats overflow, for their wickedness is great. Multitudes, multitudes in the valley of decision. In some places it's called the valley of vision. What do you see right now? Do you see Jehoshaphat's war? Or do you see Armageddon? If you want to fight Armageddon, he'll give it to you. You want to fight Jehoshaphat's war? Then you do what Jehoshaphat did. You will come into the place of worship, and that will be your weapon. That's what will reconcile. That's what will justify. That's what will vindicate. This is the vision you need. You need it for you. No one can give this to you. You have to decide this is what your life is about, and I guarantee you if you do it, you'll find way more life than anybody else. You will find a career. You will probably find a lot of friends, maybe even a mate. You will find satisfaction in your marriage if you already have one. You will find fruitfulness in your children. You will find a a city that is full of joy and peace around you at least. But if you don't do this, if you try to get all those things and don't come into this one thing decision, this one thing vision, you will think you're faithful and he will say, I never knew you. Because you'll be worn out, tired, mad, sad. And you can't let that happen to you. That's the one thing that's on you is to decide, I'm actually going to get a vision for this thing. The sun and the moon will grow dark. The stars will diminish their brightness. That's the judgment against the church. The sun and the moon, they're for signs. Signs are going away. The more Jesus' return nears, the less it will look like it. I want to tell you that for sure. He says, Deep, deep darkness, midnight, confusion, false prophets, offended, love growing cold. It's not going to be more clear. It's never going to be more clear. He's going to come like a thief no matter what. Some people will be awake. Paul says, not you, dear brothers. The day of the Lord shouldn't come upon you like a thief. It's going to come on everybody else like a thief, but you're supposed to be believing something different than the world believes. You're supposed to be setting your pace by heaven. Something totally different than what everyone else sees. The Lord also will roar from Zion and utter his voice from Jerusalem. The heavens and earth will shake, but the Lord will be a shelter for his people and the strength of the children of Israel. So you shall know that I am the Lord your God, dwelling in Zion, my holy mountain. Okay. Close your Bible. Steph, you want to come back up? Where is the Lord dwelling right now? It just, we just read it. It starts with a Z. Zion. If you, I'm about to go to Zion. I'm going to go visit Zion December 15th. Probably actually won't do it on the 15th. I'll visit Zion on December 19th. When I visit Zion, am I going to see Jesus there? Am I going to see him dwelling there? By the Spirit. Hopefully, yes, by the Spirit. He's there. Will I see him depends on will I get in the Spirit. 
When I go there, am I going to see him there with my eyes in the flesh? Most likely not. I mean, it's possible. Most likely not. You want to get as close to Jesus dwelling in Zion as you possibly can. What is as close as we can get with what we got right now? It's this. It's this. David simply reached as far as he could with the tent he could get his hands on and the kids he could find, his military commander's kids, and he told them, prophesy, prophesy. That was as close as he could get to the heavenly order that he saw in the spirit, the four seraphim crying out, holy, 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 the 24 elders crying, worthy, worthy, worthy. David's tent, it was temporary. Everybody say temporary. It was never supposed to last. It was a tabernacle. David had a vision for the temple. David had a vision for something permanent. It was actually beyond the temple. You know, the temple is going to go away as well. There's going to be a thousand-year temple in Jerusalem. Jesus will literally be in it, and then that temple's going away. Because what David had a vision for was a father, a dad, a God who was a dad, and he was willing to believe that father over anything he saw over anything that bad that happened to him. I mean, he was told he's going to be king, and then he was chased by his mentor for 20 years. And tried to, his mentor tried to kill him for 20 years. His best friend's dad tried to kill him for 20 years. And David stayed steady because he had a vision. If you want that, stay with me. The Lord's willing to release vision, but if he gives it to you and you don't accept it, it will judge you. It will destroy you, that vision. That's what happened to Saul. So don't take it lightly. If you want a vision, you got to say yes to it all the way. Holy Spirit in this room, I want vision. Just tell him yourself, I want vision. I need something more to carry me through the next two years, next three years, than what I know or what somebody could teach me. I need something from you, God. Just tell him, I, I believe the Bible. Darkness is going to increase. Tell him, I believe it. Darkness is going to increase. I'm setting my expectation for it to be less obvious. That's what that means. Give me vision. Give me light. You got to make some space. You have a wrong idea about the end times. You think everybody's going to get on the bandwagon and think Jesus is coming. You're, that's completely unbiblical. No, make some space for him. Darkness is going to increase. Deep, deep darkness will cover the land. Arise and shine. There's a light. There's a light to the Gentiles. It's in Zion. It is in Zion. God, give us vision of Zion. Give us vision of Jesus' feet on the Temple Mount. Give us vision of sanctified worship and prayer. Give us vision of making life choices prophetically, not reactionarily. In Jesus' name, amen.